0: One of the one of the philosophers, one of the most interesting philosophers of the 19th century, of course, is Friedrich Nietzsche. And, and you know, the people know a few things about him, and they often take one quotation out of context, and that is, God is dead, right? Now, when Nietzsche said, God is dead, and that was actually a character in one of his books, Zarathustra, he was saying that as a cultural fact. Now, Nietzsche was an atheist, it's true, but... He wasn't sort of trying to promote atheism. What he was saying is he saw the loss of religion in, in Europe happening at the time, and he wondered what's going to replace it, if anything. And he actually was quite worried about what was replacing it or what he thought would replace it. And what he thought would replace it is a new kind of slave morality or a new egalitarianism where the sort of base rather than the noble was going to be elevated, and, and the idea then is, it's sort of equality run amok. It's not equality in terms of equal treatment under the law or equal opportunities, but equality of outcome of the, the worst and most boring kind, where everyone has to be the same in the end. And he saw that as a nightmare, but he also saw it as a kind of replacement for religion, a kind of cheap replacement, where the ultimate goal would be something like that, and people would people would create a set of rules and rituals in the pursuit of this sort of hyper-egalitarianism. And he saw that as bad, right? So when he says God is dead, he again did not mean to be making a statement about his own belief, but rather a sort of cultural phenomenon in Europe and thinking, okay, what will take its place? And he didn't think it was going to be pretty.
1: No, that's that's right. And you can see that how uh philosophers can be completely taken out of context to be uh weaponized in a sense as well right absolutely and i i believe it was um was it was it plato who said that the philosopher philosopher kings should govern
0: yeah he did i mean his view is quite um it's quite complex Uh, So I actually wouldn't want to say too much about Plato or Aristotle because their views of the state, although they look anachronistic to, to current eyes, I actually think they had a lot of virtues because they understood, for example, the value of hierarchy, the value of community and continuity. So you want to create a political society that lasts and that's really concerned with intergenerational welfare and so on. So I think there's a lot to offer in both Plato and Aristotle. But yeah, Plato especially did maybe have some naive views about, you know, the idea that a philosopher king would would emerge from some process, and then, you know, he would rule, you know, with the right ideas. I don't know how how confident Plato was that that would necessarily happen in, in the right, right ways, but that, that was his ideal, it's true.
1: Yeah, he had a, well, Aristotle had a fantastic uh intellectual and and in a way in a way spiritual for sure a gift with yeah. um eudaimonia right where he That's talks right. about happiness and and welfare and a lot of that is based on he talks about blessedness and prosperity and a lot of that yep. is on, is based on um virtues
0: absolutely right virtue was the foundation of the individual in Aristotle, and also the state, and Plato really ran with that. Um, you know, I'm not a Plato scholar. I certainly studied him as a philosophy PhD, but you know, what, you know it's, it's it's clear that the fundamental way that Plato looked at human nature, and then the state, which was a function of humans living well together, is that the individual should have certain character virtues, and then the state itself has a set of virtues, and so when it functions harmon- harmoniously. It really is just a way of binding people together in virtue, right? So, so you know, maybe some of his ideas were, were misguided. I, I, I'm sure they were, especially the philosopher king. But there's a lot going for the, the foundations in which Aristotle and Plato looked at the state. And then you go to Locke, and even though Locke is a Christian and he thinks that the state can't function well without people embodying certain character virtues, the Christian virtues, he does start this... this you know, conception of liberalism, which ends with the idea that we all kind of go our own way. Now, maybe Locke wouldn't have thought that exactly, but, you know, at least the way liberalism has evolved is there is no overarching virtue, right? And we can all kind of just agree to disagree on what the character virtues are. You've got your conception of a good life, I've got mine. The state isn't supposed to arbitrate between those. And and what you end up with in, in many cases is is kind of a mess where people are confused and, and, you know, it's just sort of going their own way. And it's not clear to me that that's necessarily better than the way Plato and Aristotle thought of the state.
1: No, and to sort of bring this around full circle now and wrap this conversation up is that we, we are in that, in my opinion, we are in that mess right now. And what we have is that the the nation right now and the people are not binded together through virtue they're binded together through um, hate resentment uh, and many of them as we're seeing with a lot of public leftists are calling for revenge there yep saying some incredibly um, nasty things towards Trump and his family I, I mentioned to you earlier um, off off air that they're now Many of the, the dominant conversations on Twitter in terms of trending conversations are targeting Baron Trump too, his 14-year-old son. So these yeah. people, are they're not binded together by any of that. They're not binded together by happiness, welfare, yep. um, human flourishing, love. prosperity, yep. love. They're not. And the media has tapped into that. And arguably, the media hasn't tapped into it. Actually, they've created it. And they're pumping it now. So... Yeah, when when uh, Nietzsche said ominously, as I agree with you, although I don't know as much about Nietzsche as as you do, but I I held the same opinion of that statement about God is dead, and I fi- I see that we're seeing that that kind of haunting, ominous um, caveat from Nietzsche right now to America, and that is that God has been kicked out of the mainstream public sphere in america a once and as you mentioned on our previous podcast uh not too long ago still a christian nation but when you kick god out of the country now you have people who have no sense of morality that is that transcends them and is higher than them so People are running off feelings and emotions right now and have been for the last four years, and that's a very dangerous thing. And I think that those feelings and emotions now are bleeding into the mainstream media clearer than ever before. I think they're actually making some mistakes now. People may not see that right now, but I think looking back on history, we will see very clearly the mistakes they're making because they have zero regulation of their passions.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, when we think about Aristotle's conception of the virtues, and you know, they're they're inculcated through parenting and through through you know essentially the adults, through authorities, you know, emulating them and embodying them. And, you know, this is the opposite of what's happening. I mean, our our elites, the journalists, the the, the media class, the, you know, the sort of faculty on, on most campuses you know they're embodying vice rather than virtue, right? So they're not necessarily displaying. Well, here is here's how you treat the the losing side. You know, you you treat them with kindness and humility. You know, you don't claim some kind of absolute victory and then just enact your most radical policies. Instead, you know, you 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 sort of treat the losing team, if if there is a losing team, with with some kind of respect, and you and you show through your actions like what what people should behave like so you, you just don't have a lot of this public grace among the elites and then you think what are their children doing well they're posing half naked on Instagram you know for likes and they're you know on, on these kind of social media platforms so we've got this this society where the kids are chasing pleasure and the adults are not exhibiting, what the alternative actually is, which is a set of character virtues and an ideal set of relations that we should be living in accordance with. And I will say, I mean, one thought I've had lately is, and I just think this is true, that the United States is too big, it's too pluralistic. Part of the problem was mass migration. That's clearly part of it, but it's very hard to bind a nation of this size with this kind of divergence in worldviews together and my view is we're too big and we're too diverse. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, people it's it's very difficult to, to 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 even have a society where you perpetuate a set of norms, a set of virtues, and, and you really have them last through the generations. And, and and so yeah, I mean I think there's there's a lot of hope for a place like say New Zealand or Australia or Holland or or a country like this, Korea. But maybe the U.S. is just too big and too diverse, and at this point, you know, maybe we'd be better off breaking apart, I don't know, as long as it was peaceful.
1: Yeah, and I think that we are going to see in the coming weeks now just how big and diverse that that country really is. Uh, Professor Anomaly, thanks a lot for joining me again on the program. I look forward to having you back on soon to talk more about this.
0: Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Nick.
1: Great. Thanks a lot.